This is America on the Road, named best radio show by the International Automotive Media Conference, and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. An American automaker is enjoying great success selling EVs around the world, despite some skepticism here at home. We'll tell you all about it coming up. Do you drive a Honda CRV, HRV, Jeep Compass, or Ram 2500 pickup? If you do, you'll want to hear about the just instituted investigations of those vehicles for safety issues. Stay tuned for that. Apple is hitting the brakes on its upcoming Apple self-driving car, something its occupants won't be able to do, or maybe they will be able to do coming up. We'll tell you about that. More details on all of that coming up later on the show. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Got a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. That's drivingtoday.com slash auto hyphen insurance. Tons of punctuation there, but uh, you'll figure it out. I am Jack Neared. With me is co-host Chris Teague. Smiling from his home in Maine, Chris lives at one end of the country. I live at the other. Each week we get together to talk about cars, the car industry, and ways you can get the most out of your automotive dollar. Here's a question I've got for you, Chris. Are, are you guys getting revved up for Christmas now? We're deep into December. It's creeping up on us. Yeah, we put the tree up last weekend. Uh, we've got a bunch of cats in the house, so my part-time job now is fighting cats out of the Christmas tree, but it's great. We've got all the Christmas shopping done. There's some presents under the tree, so feeling very fortunate, very happy to wow. have that, but also happy to have it done with for the season so we could just cruise into Christmas. I mean, Christmas shopping done. I am so jealous. that <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> I thank my wife for that one, yeah. My wife likes to put up the <laughs> Christmas tree very early, but we haven't purchased one. We don't have any kids at home. Now we've been busy. She was out at sound last weekend so i guess it's this week that we put up the christmas tree you got to figure that out so what vehicle are you going to be talking about this week chris i drove the uh, new mercedes-benz c-class the c300 formatic i can't wait to tell you all about it. it's a very impressive car it really is yeah i, I look forward to talking with you about it i was on a, an event where they launched that thing so i will be road testing the 2023 mazda cx-9 the whole NERAD family had a uh, chance to drive it, be in it for a full week over the Thanksgiving holiday. So I thought it was a perfect vehicle for that. So I thought I'd tell you all about what we experienced during that holiday. Not so much the turkey, but uh, a lot more about driving the car. Great interview for you, too. Russell Wager is vice president of marketing at Kia America. We've talked about how Kia is on a roll here on the show very recently, so uh, we'll talk with him about that. But before we do anything else, we'll be bringing you some of the most important auto-related news from around the world. So stay with us with Chris Teague. This is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague. With you, and it is news time on America on the Road. And uh, we teased a little bit uh, about a domestic automaker who's doing a good job selling EVs, and it turns out to be Ford Motor Company, which doesn't necessarily spring uh, immediately to mind, but they have built the 150,000th Mustang Mach E, a vehicle I think, uh, an electric vehicle that doesn't get talked about much <laughs> more recently. Uh, but they're, they're now selling it in 37 countries. What's your take overall on, on how Ford's doing with Mach-E? 
You know, I think so. First of all, they did really well at, at first, but then they fell victim to the growth of the market, right? Because just a few months, maybe six months or so after it came out, we had the Hyundai Ionic 5, the Kia EV6, and, you know, a whole host of other vehicles in the same segment. So uh, I drove it last year. We talked about it on the show and, and fantastic EV for the week that I had it. So I'm um, happy to see they're selling well. They want to up production pretty significantly to a rate of 600,000 of these things annually. Uh, that's way more that they could sell in the United States. So obviously, global markets are are going to be important for them. They expect to uh, build uh, more than two million EVs annually by 2026. That's not too far off. I mean, that's definitely in the ballpark of plans uh, that are very firm, as opposed to you know blue sky. What's your thoughts on that? Ooh, yeah, they've got a long way to go. That said, they did just announce that they're number two in EV sales to Tesla in the country. However, there should be noted that that gap between Tesla and Ford is still quite large. So I think they've got their work cut out for them, but they definitely put the money and the resources behind it to get there, you know, with the battery plants in Tennessee and Kentucky and all their other efforts. They've already talked about another electric truck. So uh, I'll be excited to see what they come out with. Yeah, and they're going to get some dispute from Hyundai Corporation because if you count Hyundai Genesis, the Hyundai brand, the Genesis brand, the Kia brand, I think the three of them outsell uh, or sell more electric vehicles than Ford does. But, you know, that's combining brands. So, uh, you know, kudos to Ford. It's the Uh, same argument General Motors makes about pickup trucks, right? Yeah, isn't it just? Even then, they're they're not uh, where Ford F-150 is these days. Uh, In fact, I checked the uh, figures just yesterday because I'm doing some writing of a comparison test of those vehicles. But um, this is interesting, too, uh, I think. Virtually all Mustang Mach-E customers are replacing an internal combustion engine vehicle. More than 8 in 10 U.S. customers, 9 in 10 uh, of those in Europe. So that's good all the way around, I think. Yeah, I'd be interested to see the breakdown between sort of uh, loyalty or legacy customers and then new customers where the breakdown, who they're stealing from other brands. So uh, I'd have to look that up, but I'm sure the data exists. Yeah, and I think a lot of them are coming from import brands as opposed to domestic brands. Makes some sense. And the Mustang Mach-E, of course, was the 2021 North American Utility of the Year. So I'm ta- I should take full credit for their success, don't you think? Because I'm on that jury. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not. But I did vote for it for Utility of the Year, and uh, rightly so. Well, we warned you about Honda, Jeep, and Ram vehicles that are having some issues or potential issues that are being looked into by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the government agency that looks at safety issues. And it's not an inconsiderable amount (laughs) of vehicles either. More than 1.7 million Hondas. Uh, These are HRVs and CRVs. Of course, they sell a ton of those. 230,000 Jeep Compasses and 390,000 Ram trucks. I didn't know that there were 390,000 Ram 2500 and 3500s out there uh, because that's a uh, you know, heavy-duty pickup truck. They don't usually sell in giant numbers. But uh, the reports are not uh, are kind of troubling, I would say, <laughs> not encouraging. Uh, some drivers of the CRVs and HRVs lost power at highway speeds without warning, and that's <laughs> certainly not a great thing. Uh, there are also differential seal leaks resulting in rear differential lockup, which that's a really a bad thing because your car stops dead. Or, you know, it's like jamming on the brakes. Uh, you've uh, reported on this, so what are your thoughts? Yeah, some of these people reporting that their drive shaft ended up getting shredded in the process because you know one side of the one side of the all-wheel drive system shut down. But uh, these things, especially with the Jeep Compass, is, is are especially troubling because Jeep Compass has uh, an overcool an overheating coolant warning that pops up 
causes the vehicle to go into limp mode or shut down. And one person says that it happens whether the car is warm or cold at highway speeds, at traffic lights. And it sometimes the vehicle actually locks up on the highway before it finally shuts down and can be moved off. So, uh, you know, this it's important to note this is not a recall yet, or these are not recalls yet. Right. These are just investigations, but uh, they could very well end up that way. Yeah. Well, the, the uh, Ram pickup trucks, 134 reports of intermittent or permanent loss of braking. So kind of the opposite thing. I mean, you can't stop instead of you stop suddenly. Uh, and that's equally troubling. I mean, you know, tearing around and hmm, uh, suddenly no brakes. I mean, that's a, a movie kind of scary situation, right? Yeah, you can imagine towing something very large and then having that happen that would be a Fast and the Furious scene for sure. Yeah, and of course, those vehicles you use for towing a lot. So uh, that is interesting and uh, would be very interesting if it were to occur to you. No crashes or injuries reported in relation to any of these, however. So that's a positive. Well, we have talked on the show about the Apple car, the self-driving car that Apple has been developing kind of intermittently, it seems like. or They, they emphasize it and then not so much for a while and then we hear more. Apparently, uh, the current plan is to scale back. They were very ambitious, I think maybe overly ambitious. I'm not sure whether they'd admit that, but having a full self-driving car out in the marketplace, out in the wild by 2026, strikes me as remarkably ambitious. And now they're saying, well, we're probably not going to do that. Although I guess 2026 might be their target date still. I mean, they were going to have something even sooner. How do you feel about the, this whole thing? Yeah, I think some of the early excitement is probably due to the fact that the media loves to pick up on Apple rumors and run with them. That's why we start hearing about the iPhone in January when it doesn't come out until September. But you know, a lot of this, you're saying having full self-driving cars out in the wild, the reports that I, re I was reading say uh, the executives are figuring out that they, the technology that they want to use in these cars just doesn't exist. So they can't, you know, even if they had the the hardware, they couldn't, they don't have the software or vice versa. So uh, there are a lot of things going. I did see that they are planning on starting or kicking off the effort in 2026. That could have been just a report that I was reading. But yeah, no, I think that's that's correct. I think I uh, misspoke and said uh, they postponed uh, the 2026 launch, but they have postponed the launch to 2026, which strikes me as pretty ambitious in and of itself. Yeah, and but I mean, look, they definitely have the resources, they have the minds, the brain power there to do this, but uh, creating new technology out of thin air is something uh, that, that's really hard to do, and I think they're not willing to over-promote, I guess, uh, a half-baked technology, which Apple never does. So. Yeah, I mean, this technology is incredibly complicated, and you know, a, a bunch of brilliant minds have been trying to solve this for, what, 20 years or so? And I don't know that we're even close to having full self-driving cars that can drive uh, drive in any situation. I mean, their goal was to have a car that where the occupants didn't have a steering wheel, brakes. They, they didn't control the car in any way, shape, or form. They just hopped in the car and it drove them places. And I think they are now walking that back big time and they're going to have just uh, autonomous driving on highways, you know, which what we already have in uh, things like Blue Cruise from Ford, for example. I mean, look, I complain about EV infrastructure all the time on the show, but uh, self-driving and autonomous driving infrastructure, the, the physical hardware that needs to be on the road, near the road to, for all these things to work consistently. Uh, imagine getting 50 states on board to do anything, much less a massive 
investment in infrastructure. So uh, I think this is farther down the road than we than they or anyone else thinks. Uh, the highway driving portion, yeah, we already have Super Cruise and Blue Cruise and you know several others at this point in time. So right. Well, and this has to work where there's essentially no infrastructure to support it, too, right? I mean, if it's going to be full self-driving all the time, I can't imagine infrastructure being put on rural roads, on dirt roads out in the in the farmlands, uh, those kind of situations. It just wouldn't be economic to do that. And I, I think thus, this is kind of a non-starter in, because everything really has to be contained in the vehicle to make that happen. Yeah, and the thing that I worry about with an Apple car, and we've talked about this a bunch too, is you know what's their motivation for creating a car? Well, it ultimately, it's probably to sell you more applications and content and things inside that car. So I think I could wait a little while. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wonder if the turmoil in China has something to do with this too, because it certainly has affected Apple in many ways. And they're scaling back their iPhone production or been forced to because of what's going on over there. Um, that certainly can't help their bottom line. And they, even Apple need, needs more revenue to make these things happen. Yeah, they've got a, a big ship to keep afloat. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, I think we both use Apple products, but uh, I think they want to get it right, right? <laughs> yes, they do. It makes sense to me. Well, when we come back, we're going to be road testing two very interesting vehicles, the Mer Mercedes-Benz C-Class. And I uh, will take a look at the Mazda CX-9 their midsize SUV. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you. And stay with us through the break for the road test. Thanks for being with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. With Chris Teague, Jack Red with you. It is road test time. And Chris, I envy you because you were road testing a very cool vehicle, the Mercedes-Benz C-Class. Tell us about it. I was testing the C-Class. I really enjoyed it because we talked about the S-Class on the show probably a couple months ago. I was testing the uh, one of the S-Class cars, and I really appreciate how Mercedes has been able to shrink the S-Class into the C-Class, both in terms of cost and performance, but the look, the technology, everything is there. Make, it makes it feel a lot more expensive than it really is. But let's get into the price because it is actually a, a quite expensive car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it kind of is expensive, isn't it? Yeah. So uh, the C300, the 2022-23 C300 comes in three trims. It's got premium that starts around 44 grand, the exclusive trim, which starts just shy of 47, and the top pinnacle, which is what I tested, Jack. It starts around 49. Mine had options. I'm looking at the window sticker right now that brought it just shy of $59,000. Uh, that's quite a bit of money for a four-door, four-cylinder mid-size sedan. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's about the size of a Honda Accord, maybe even less interior space than a Honda Accord. Certainly high quality, certainly luxurious. Yeah. I, I don't know whether they overreached, though, in terms of having to price it like that. The one we tested, North American Car of the Year, was 60K, too. Yeah, I mean, if I could run down the list of features here, you might start thinking, well, maybe it's worth it. But in action, I mean, you really don't use all these things on a daily basis, so it's you know up to the buyer to decide, as it always is. But... Uh, the entire line is powered by an inline four. It's a 2.0 liter. It's turbocharged. It's got a 48 volt mild hybrid system with a combined output of 255 horsepower, 295 pound feet of torque. Uh, it's got a nine speed automatic transmission. Uh, it comes standard with two wheel drive. Mine had the formatic all wheel drive system. And the mild hybrid here, in addition to providing better torque off the line, letting the engine shut off and coast at times, it also is able to add a 20 horsepower boost. And you really feel that when you put your foot down. This car does have some of that EV magic thanks to that 48 volt system. It really does scoot off the line much more, uh, much more uh, enthusiastically than it would 
normally because the turbo takes time to spool up and everything else. So uh, this car feels a lot more immediate than uh, it would otherwise. Uh, Mercedes says around six seconds, zero to 60. I'll tell you that the butt and seat feel, Jack, is uh, feels a lot quicker than that. It feels like a five-second car. I, you know, uh, my bum is not <laughs> scientific in any way, so uh, we won't say much about that. Good to that. hear that. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, you know, Mercedes does use some synthetic engine noise on the interior of this car. Almost every automaker does these days. My Volkswagen GTI has it. A lot of BMWs do. But it does actually add some engagement to the car. It makes it sound a little bit like a... a a sports car, like a Formula One car inside, you know, it's got the nice acceleration sound, but at the same time, you're sitting in a family sedan, so you kind of have to temper your excitement. Jack, I'm going to get your feeling here, because I felt that in addition to the performance, I'm talking about how quick this thing is, it was very quiet, it's very smooth, and felt very sure-footed. So what are your opinions on the C300 or C-Class driving experience? I'd say I loved everything about it. I mean, there is just so much, well, I loved everything about it, but the price. <laughs> And where I think I really do think that's a bit of an overreach for that that scale of car. I, I mean, they wanted it's not quite their entry level vehicle anymore, but it's lower on the food chain. And to have that priced the way you want it at well over 50k, uh, I think that's a little tough. So I like the driving dynamics. I like uh, everything about the interior. I think it's a sweet, sweet car. Uh, it's just a lot of money. It is. It's hard to avoid that. I know we keep coming back to it, but uh, inside this has uh, MB Tech synthetic leather upholstery. Uh, so you know, maybe asking why don't I get leather for sixty thousand dollars? But uh, you know, I think a lot of automakers are moving to synthetics because it's better for the environment, it's more sustainable. Uh, although they could source sustainable leather, we could go down that path another day, Jack, to talk yeah. about the value. <laughs> well, it's, and it's made out of oil. The synthetic stuff is made out of oil, so you got that going for you. Too. Yeah, I'm going to sidestep <laughs> that for right now. But uh, this car had plenty of options as I keep coming back to. Is 19-inch AMG multi-spoke wheels. Uh, the it says summer multi multi summer high performance tires, but Mercedes this time of year is very smart. They equip all of our cars with winter tires. Uh, very helpful in the, the icy conditions. Inside, it's got an 11.9-inch touchscreen display. And Mercedes did away with that weird tablet that they had mounted at the top of the dash, moved it down to the center console, and made it much larger. So now it's definitely the focus of the dashboard. Uh, all the climate settings are there, the stereo, navigation. So basically, your interaction point with the car is that screen. Uh, so if you don't like physical or if you don't like virtual controls and prefer physical controls, I would encourage you to try these out. Uh, they're more intuitive than the ones in my Volkswagen GTI, but they're still a learning curve uh, and take some time. Uh, this car had a Burmester uh, stereo jack, and I could tell you it would shake the front door of my house from across the street. Uh, but even the, the standard sound system is fine. The car's got ambient interior lighting. The inside of this thing feels like a discotheque after dark because you can get uh, it's got you know, the ambient lighting and all the, 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 all the air vents around the rear view mirror, a uh, little overwhelming for my wife and kids, but I actually kind of like the looks. So, you know, all in all, we keep talking about the price and Jack, I think that's going to be my ultimate sticking point here. Uh, I think there's so many better options and so many equally compelling options, I should say for much less money. But if you really like the brand and you want the performance, I, I there's not much to complain about other than the price. Yeah. I mean, that three-pointed star carries a lot of weight and this certainly is a Mercedes in every way, shape or form. It's, as you say, it's kind of like a shrunken down S-Class in so many ways. And uh, I think there's a lot to like about that. I, you know, I wish it was a little less expensive, but uh, there's certainly value there too. Yeah, I think, like I said, if we run down the list of features, you know, the cost starts to sound a little more reasonable, but that's up to the, the buyer, I guess, to decide. Right. Well, here's a vehicle that uh, we've tested actually fairly recently, but I had a big experience with it uh, over the Thanksgiving holiday and thought it was worth revisiting, and that's the, the Mazda CX-9, their three-row crossover SUV. It's one of the vehicles that I think we have liked a lot uh, through the years, 
And it just continued to impress. I had some fairly challenging driving conditions to go through and some fairly challenging roads uh, in the CX-9. And usually a three-row is not the, not the thing you can feel like you can tear it up on curvy roads, but it just reinforced the fact that this is the best handling of the three rows that I can, I can think of. It just handles wonderfully well. It now has standard iActive all-wheel drive. Every one of them has it. Uh, it has those Mazda driving dynamics that they work hard to develop. And the handling vehicle control is, is just excellent. So uh, you have to like that. Uh, we were in a signature model, which, of course, was the highest Zoot model. And I, I think it's near luxury, right? I mean, it's, it's certainly above just a mass market kind of vehicle. I think there's so much to like about the exterior styling, and then the interior is so good looking that there's uh, a ton of stuff. Leather seating, for example, power moonroof, fo LED fog lights, wireless phone charger. All of that's standard. That comes in the, in the base model. Uh, you can get seating for six in, uh, set with second row captain's chairs or seating for seven. We had a captain's chair uh, version. I know you favor that because you like to keep your kids separated, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. Are, are they getting to the point, though, where they uh, don't reach over and smack each other uh, the way they used to? I always say that they fight. I mean, they they squabble a little bit, Jack. There's never been like a physical altercation. That extra real estate between them, though, keeps the helps keep the peace much more peaceful. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I get it. I have three daughters, so uh, three grown daughters now, and they they still you know get a little feisty with one another here and there. The base engine uh, is the SkyActive 2.5 liter turbo, paired with a six-speed automatic, which in some ways might sound antiquated, but uh, Mazda defends the six-speed by saying it keeps the vehicle in the rev range where it'll feel powerful, and there's a lot of torque there. So uh, 250 horsepower, 320 pound-feet of torque. That's when you use premium gas. I have to admit, I probably didn't use premium gas when I filled this thing up. We put 87 octane in it, uh, which knocked down the horsepower to 227, but still plenty of horsepower. Uh, I never heard a knock or a, you know, a wheeze out of the thing. It has G-Vectoring Control Plus in addition to its all-wheel drive system, so I like that. And a bunch of uh, driver assist safety features are also standard including adaptive cruise control with stop and go, smart brake support with collision warning, pedestrian detection, blind spot monitoring, rear cross traffic alert. This is a lot of uh, lane departure warning uh, with lane keeping assist. That's a ton of standard safety equipment too. So Mazda's going the extra mile there. And I haven't even uh, made the deep dive in, <laughs> into the signature model. You know, I'm just talking about the standard model here, but the signature model takes things up several notches. Even when you go to the Grand Touring, which is the model below the signature, it adds traffic sign recognition, Mazda navigation to the uh, program. And then uh, you get, when you go to the signature, you get all these luxury features. Napa leather, good looking all the way around. I think the only thing I might complain about, and I've, I've come to terms with it, is the way that the infotainment system works. And it uses a controller on the console. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Well, it can become intuitive. And by that, I mean, you can learn how to use it. <laughs> but the reality is it's a lot easier to scroll through long menus when you're able to swipe. The, you know, you're endlessly cranking that knob, especially if you're trying to scroll through like Sirius XM channels. You have 75 channels to get to whatever you want to listen to. Uh, that's it. You know, you talk about your complaints. My only complaint other than the dial is the third row seats. I think it's a little tight to get back there. But, uh, you know, those two things were my biggest beef beefs with the, the CX-9. 
Yeah, I mean, it is smaller than many of the three rows, which is one of the reasons it handles so great. But I think it also handles so great because Mazda makes sure it handles really well. So I liked it a lot. On the Signature, you get a hands-free power lift gate, which is certainly convenient, 20-inch aluminum alloy wheels, a titanium gray metallic finished front grille. Hmm, okay. Larger exhaust pipes. It gives it a look. I think all the way around, these are uh, valuable vehicles. Not inconsiderable in terms of price either, but uh, certainly much less expensive than than the Mercedes C-Class that you were driving. And this is a six or seven passenger vehicle, so certainly of a different type. But uh, I think two winners here. I mean, vehicles we like a lot and uh, give the, the buyer kind of a a luxury sense in one way or another. I agree. I'd buy either of these vehicles given the right circumstance. We talked about the Mercedes price uh, and the tight third row and the Mazda, but I think they're both fantastic choices. We drove the Mazda through the White Mountains a couple of years ago. Granted, it's been updated since then, but the CX-9 was fantastic for the four of us, all of our gear, uh, and even got a little bit of uh, curvy driving in. So definitely a winner for me. Yeah, nice, nice stuff. So two winners this time around, uh, and uh, when we come back, we will have a great interview for you. Russell Wager is the vice president of marketing for Kia. Kia has been on a roll lately, so we'll talk to him about that and uh, a bunch of other things going on in the auto industry. So with Chris Teague, this is Jack Red with you, and thanks so much for being with us on America on the Road. Stay with us. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Red with you. We're at the Los Angeles Auto Show, and Behind the scenes with Kia, Russell Wager is with us. Thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Fine times for Kia, right? I mean, exciting stuff that you're showing today. Tell us a bit about what you're showing. Well, thanks, Jack, for having me. Uh, We did a couple things today. First, uh, we brought out the EV6 GT uh, for the first time at an auto show. And that car is just arriving in our dealerships today. And that one, for those of you that don't know, 576 horsepower, 0 to 60 in 3.4, and all electric. Crazy rocket ship kind of vehicle, right? You know, for those of you that need that, uh, because you just want to get to the grocery store that fast, much faster. Um, but no, it's, it's a great vehicle and it, it just helps top out what we've been talking about for EV6. EV6 is a great vehicle. Now you've got, whether you want 300 mile range, whether you want 576 horsepower, we've, we've got that as an offering right. for you. And EV6 nominated as a North American SUV of the year finalist for that. You, you know what, we love it when, uh, especially North American Car of the Year with uh, 50 plus jurors that are looking at this from all different angles, from all different walks of life, and says, hey, you're, you're one of the top three. That's really saying something, yeah. I, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, and I think the value that that vehicle provides, uh, maybe th- even better things are ahead. We, so we're hoping so. Hard to say. We're hoping hard so. To so. Say. So then the, the second thing we talked about uh, today, Jack, was the um, this new Seltos. So Seltos uh, launched in 2020, here we are two years later, and we're already making major improvements to it. Uh, we brought in uh, one of the things that a lot of customers said, hey, would love a power uh, lift gate. We brought that in. Uh, would love maybe just a little bit more pep to it. So we added 20 miles, uh, 20 more horsepower to it, 195, great. And then uh, interior, we keep trying to bring the tech that we have in a lot of our other high-end vehicles, our Telluride, our EV6. We brought the uh, panoramic display, dual screen, two feet of a screen right in front of you so you have the latest technology in front of you. I mean, tech is one of your signature things, something that you're providing in a way better than many luxury brands. 
and yet you're a value brand or have been known for that. I mean, tell our listeners how important it is to, to have that. Yeah, so uh, technology, from our standpoint, we want to do the democratization of it. It's not shouldn't be on the high, high ends of it. It should be more... Um, available for everybody across our model lineup, and that's and that's what we're trying to do. And and again, top to bottom. So Seltos is is our entry SUV. Telluride are high end, Sportage and and Sorento in between, and all of them now have the same technology as far as the screen, which is outstanding, right? So just a question: How much SUV do you want? And we're doing that across the rest of our lineups as yeah, well. Yeah, I mean. You've been on a product roll this year. Nero has been a really excellent vehicle for you. All new too, three different variants of that. So you've got a lot of product out there that's new, don't you? Yeah, you, you talk about Nero and Nero is one of those things that we, we brought to market that has three powertrains. And it, and it just be- depends on when somebody's ready to walk into the electrified space, how committed are they? So Nero has the hybrid, which has a gas engine and an electric. It has the plug-in hybrid for those that want to experiment with plugging in a vehicle. And then it has a full EV. So I think that's a great vehicle that gives people choices if they're not quite sure yet. Should I go electrified? Should I not? Um, so that's a great entry vehicle Well, for and us. it's kind of interesting, too, and the one you don't have is a conventional vehicle, right? I mean, you have a hybrid. You have a plug-in hybrid and an EV, but not the conventional, just ICE engine without anything else. But at the same time, that hybrid is uh, one heck of a, of, of a value, I think, a bargain. I, I think it's, it's awesome. And you talk about it, I mean, 588-mile range um, in this day and age of high gas prices. It's, it's a great alternative for people that are tired of paying too much at the pump. We're giving them choices. We're giving them choices both in Nero. We do it in Sportage now has an HEV and a PHEV as well as a gas engine. Um, so we're trying to make it so that customers, again, can have what they're looking for. So you have a lot of product stuff that's, that's terrific, new product, fresh product. At the same time, there's good news around the brand otherwise, dependability, quality. Those kind of things really make a difference too, don't they? Yeah, you know, we keep... Um, thankfully, uh, being recognized by uh, various publications, various awards. J.D. Power Vehicle Dependability, number one. Um, We've worked really hard for our customers, on behalf of our customers, to get to that ranking because it's a benefit for them. Nice for us, benefit for them. IQS, initial quality, we continually are in the top five in that area with most of our models. So we're definitely trying to make it so the awards are nice, but the awards are deserved as a benefit for our customers. Yeah, and then you need to communicate that, right? I mean, you need to put that in front of people, let people know not only about the product, but also about the, the quality and reliability of the vehicles. And we've done that in the last uh, year with you know, both our television, and social, digital, all of our communications. We let people know because you, you mentioned people remember for years we told them that Kia was America's best value. That's not the message anymore. The message is we've got electrified offerings if you're in in that space. We've got capable SUVs. We've got sporty sedans. And oh, by the way, all of them are really good quality. Let's talk about electrics. I mean, we're at the Los Angeles show. There's a lot of buzz around electrics. You certainly have several EVs that are certainly worthy of mention. And now, you know, crazy in in terms of horsepower and and just quickness uh, as well. Where do you think that's going? I mean, will it be across your lineup? Well, we basically said that we're trying to go fully uh, electrified by 2030. That's that's a, it's an ultimate goal at some point in time. Uh, and electrified does mean hybrids. It does mean plug-in hybrids, EVs. Um, you know, you look at the history of the last two years, the, the market itself was about 1.5% EVs. And as recently, a couple months ago, it was up to 6 7%. So great growth trend and very fast. 
But now we got to see what happened. You know, the the Inflation Reduction Act kind of hindered a few people's ability to buy EVs. The the seventy five hundred dollars. Well, it was a curveball to you, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you got. It was a curve. <laughs> it was a curve. Believe it was a curveball. It was a curveball to the industry. So the seventy five hundred dollars means that the cars just got that much more expensive. We want people to have the ability to get into our electric vehicles. So we'll see where that goes. But but I still think the adoption rate for electric vehicles is on a continuous upward path, which is why we now have the EV9 coming next year, yeah. second half, three-row SUV, all EV. Which is a striking-looking vehicle. I mean, if people have not seen the concept EV9, they should take a look at it because it is really an interesting vehicle and I think going to, to do real well. Tell us a bit more about the, uh, the EV6 GT because, you know, going to that performance, that level of performance uh, is taking it in an even more uh, in impressive direction, I, I guess I would say. So, Majority of people um, that have purchased EV6 since it went on sale uh, in February, 75% or more first-time EV buyers. Okay, So the big thing is a lot of people haven't experienced an EV. So EVs, they're quiet, they're comfortable, they're, um, they're great for the environment, and they have great instant torque and performance. So now people are understanding that I don't have to sacrifice driving enjoyment by getting an EV. So we bring the EV6 GT as a halo element to show you really don't have to. You can compete against a Ferrari, a Lamborghini, um, all of the exotics, and you don't have to pay nearly as much. Well, I mean, that's kind of crazy in a way to, to think of that, right? That Kia <laughs> competing in terms of, you know, straight up performance with those kinds of brands, the supercars, and that's the kind of performance you're really promising with that vehicle. Again, it, it, we didn't start to say that's who we wanted to beat or target. What we said is we wanted to give people the ability to have an electrified vehicle that was an outstanding performance vehicle. And, oh, let's go see how we compete relative to everyone else. And, and we did a drag race with seven exotic cars, and we beat every single one of them uh, in the quarter mile with the exception of the McLaren that we lost by uh, a tenth of a second. Yeah, Im impressive, mm -hmm. impressive stuff. I can't wait to drive that vehicle. I think I'm going to drive that in about three weeks' time or something like that. That would be impressive. What are you looking forward to in 2023? This has been a crazy market. This has been the craziest market uh, I've ever seen, and I've been in this industry for 40 years. What are you looking for going forward? You know, we're, we're looking for trying to help meet our customer demand. We, we love the fact that customers um, love the products that we're bringing out, um, whether it's electric, whether it's hybrid, whether it's gas engines. Um, and, and we recognize that there's a lot of demand out there for our vehicles, and we're not trying to make people wait two months or three months or whatever. We're trying to produce them. Um, so we're trying to catch up. So I'm looking forward to the, to the day that we can have somebody come into the showroom. They look at a car. If it's not there that day, maybe it's a, a week later uh, as opposed to the longer wait times. That's our goal. We want to make sure our customers are happy and when they want to buy a Kia that we can deliver it to them. Do you think we're going to go back to the times where there were a lot of vehicles on the lots and people could go onto the lot and pick the one that they wanted that was sitting there as opposed to ordering? Or are we going to be in an order kind of situation going forward? So I, I think it's going to be halfway between. I mean, there's going to be, we, we want to make sure there's vehicles on the lot so somebody can see the different trims um, or the different models we have. Maybe it won't be every single color that you could see of, of the new Seltos on the lot. But you'd at least be able to see if you want the top of the line trim, the middle line, the, the, the entry level, you'd be able to see those. That's, that's what we ultimately would love to get to. 
there'll still be people that will want to order, and, that, and that's okay as well. We'll have the option for both. Mm -hmm. You build in America, a lot of your vehicles in America. I, maybe a plan to build even more. Tell us about that a little bit. Sure. Um, so currently, all Tellurides, um, the Sorento uh, gas engine, the, we just started building the Sportage uh, this year uh, down in, in uh, West Point, Georgia area, just outside of Atlanta. And we also built the K5, our sedan there. So all four of those are built there. We just did a groundbreaking ceremony in Savannah, Georgia for a meta plant that's going to start building electric vehicles for us. Again, groundbreaking takes a little bit to build, probably 2024, 2025 before vehicles come out of there. Um, but we're definitely expanding and investing. We want to make sure the products that we're making, um, a large portion are made here in the U.S. Give our listeners and viewers a, a sense of proportion of what that takes you know what what kind of investment that is because it's a giant investment isn't it? Uh, that's over five billion dollars so <laughs> uh, you don't set up a factory clear ground set up assembly lines uh, build a supplier network uh, overnight and you don't do it without making an investment so that's how serious we are um, as far as the electrification world is that plant is going to be dedicated to electric vehicles so we'll have the ability when the ones i already talked about that are built in georgia as well as uh, west point georgia as well as the one in savannah georgia yeah and this is part of kia's global strategy too right not just north america not just us but they have goals to be way up there in terms of evs correct yeah this is part of our plan s strategy that you may have heard something about and, and it is definitely about um, sustainable mobility solutions and, and what one big portion of that is the electrification, growth, investment, uh, and definitely more than just the U.S. And that's a benefit for U.S. customers because anytime you can sell vehicles both for the U.S. customers that also might be appealing in other countries, there's scale, and with scale means prices become lower. Yeah, and that seems to be one of the major stumbling blocks to electrics, right? Just the fact that they're premium priced versus a vehicle with an internal combustion engine. Talk about it that a little bit. Again, that's that's the goal is to get enough scale and enough product offerings um, and demand built up that we can make it so that it the price point continues to come down. Now, granted, um, our EV for Nero, uh, the hybrid is mid 20s. Uh, when you get to the EV, it gets a little bit higher in the in the mid 30s. Um, our EV6, uh, we had it starting at just over 40, and nobody wanted those. They all wanted the high end ones. Uh -huh. So so we okay, if you don't want that one, then we'll make the ones you want. So now we start at uh, the higher 40s. But that we're trying to make sure we're matching the demand with what customers are wanting. Well, exciting times, especially exciting times for Kia uh, on a product roll. Russell Walker, thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you very much for having me. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack and Red with you. And we've come to the end of the show. I mean, it goes so rapidly, Chris. Always great to talk to you about cars. And we have a listener question. Let me put this listener question in front of you. Sheila in Charlotte, North Carolina, asks this or says this. I'm looking to buy an SUV, but now I'm wondering if I should wait until the end of the year to buy one. That's certainly coming up. I've read that the deals are better than. What do you think? Well, I'm, I lived in Charlotte for a bunch of years. It's a great town. Loved it very much. I will say this. I just wrote a long piece on the best lease deals in December. I will say that there are plenty of lease deals out there on SUVs and Nissan Rogue, the Mitsubishi Outlander, for under 300 bucks. 
so you could get into a vehicle right now. We're already at the end of the year, so these specials, if you're going to get a deal right now, is the time. Uh, but you might not get the trim that you want. A lot of these vehicles are lower, less desirable trims because people buy more expensive things. I will also say that vehicle supply is still constrained, so you might not be able to find the vehicle you want for the price that you think you're going to get just because there aren't that many out there and dealers aren't that willing to – uh, to to give up their you know their highest selling vehicles for less money than they can get. So, uh, Jack, what do you think about that? Well, there typically is this feeling that you can wait till uh, December thirtieth or thirty first and then get a great deal because the dealer wants to hit a particular sales target and get more cars and all that kind of stuff. I think in, in this year in particular, that's a lot of baloney. I mean, we're <laughs> you're just not going to see that. So, I would say if you find something you want now. Snap it up because, as you indicated, uh, vehicle inventory is the big issue this year. Not so much incentives, not so much lower prices. Yeah, and it could be a while before that that fixes itself. So if you don't buy a vehicle now and you get the end of the year pricing, if it is there, then you might be waiting longer than you want. So absolutely true. And I guess that's our show for this week. I would like to plug my latest book, which is called Dance in the Dark. It is a crime thriller inspired by true crime. That's a passion of mine. So uh, take a look at. Dance in the Dark. It's on uh, Amazon right now. We're available at E.M. Lancey Publishers, LLC. And uh, remember, our show is available as a podcast, too. Right, Chris? Yeah, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you like what you heard and you want to listen more, you can head to the sportsmapradio.com website. There you can find us on the Saturday morning schedule. You can find our podcast, as Jack mentioned, on all the major platforms, as well as a formatted radio version of the show. I also want to tell you about yourtestdriver.com. Uh, we've started, I've started publishing reviews, how-to guides. Uh, we have some of the biggest names in the auto industry teaching you how to clean your headlights, use a Holly electronic fuel injection for vintage vehicles and more. So check out yourtestdriver.com. Absolutely. Check that out. I certainly will soon. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Got a quote today at drivingtoday.com slash auto insurance. Join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road coming up right here next week. Hi, this is Jackie Rad, host of America on the Road. I'd like to tell you about my latest book, Dance in the Dark. It's a crime novel inspired by true crime. Many people have told me it is the perfect follow-up to Fatal Photographs, my true crime account of the notorious Hollywood bathing suit model murder case. In Dance in the Dark, Jason Griffiths is a rock and roll drummer turned computer programmer who fears for his life, but he doesn't know why. After living a quiet life for years, suddenly his girlfriend leaves him, he meets the most beautiful woman he has ever seen, and within days he's wanted for the murder of a drug cartel enforcer, a murder he didn't commit. The cops think he did it, though, and so does the boss of the cartel. So he's stuck between the law and the mob with nowhere to turn. The only person who might be able to help him is the new woman in his life. But will his stunning new companion be an asset or an enemy? And can he escape the desperate situation he's trapped in? Dance in the Dark is available in paperback and as a Kindle ebook at Amazon and at E.M. Lancey Publishers. Right now, it's at a special low price that will save you five bucks. That's Dance in the Dark by Jack Arney Red. Thanks for checking it out.